entering the Freedom Hut. Michael Cohen gets sentenced to prison, and General Flynn is asking for no prison. We will break down how these deep state machinations are playing out against Trump's inner circle. Also, will there be a shutdown or not? Will we get a wall or not? Going to get into all that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to The Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Quite a day today. Quite a day indeed. Uh, we have more information about General Flynn and what happened to him. And we also have the, at least for now, final results in of the whole Cohen, Michael Cohen trial, right? The chief advisor to uh, President, uh, chief legal advisor to President Trump in his private life for many years. But the Flynn uh, the Flynn request for leniency today, which was filed with the court, there's a memo, I read through it today, and we'll also be joined by Andy McCarthy later to work through some of this. I mean, this is, this is appalling. It's disgusting what these Hillary Clinton-loving, leftist, deep state, petty tyrants have done here to a good man who didn't serve his country for like a day here or there, 30 years Multiple combat zone deployments against all odds is an early friend to President Trump in the campaign, joins with Trump and then becomes the national security advisor. And they just can't take it. They can't accept it. So they decide to go after him. I remember I General Flynn when he had his his show, uh, I mean, his book Field of Fight. We had him on this show. Early on in the campaign, when people didn't think that the Trump administration was ever going to be a thing, uh, he was he was right there alongside the president, and that's what and he gave the president national security credibility, which the left just hated, and the establishment, you know, and the kind of centrist, quasi Republican Democrats, you know, people of the kind of comiest ilk, if you will, those who have claimed to be Republicans, but really are in no meaningful way conservative or limited government constitutionalists. They're really just establishmentarians. They hated Flynn. And now we see what they did. Now we have a better sense of just how it is that they set him up. Make no mistake about it. This was a setup. Okay, this was, they intended, they intended to get the result they did, which was, a criminal prosecution of the incoming national security advisor right away. This is from the court document from Flynn's legal team. None of these facts are in dispute. None of this is me just guessing, spitballing. No, no. This is matter of record. Here is what they did to this American patriot as payback for, for being a part of the movement that stopped Hillary Clinton from inflicting herself. That just corrupt, lying cronyist from inflicting herself upon us for another eight years. And this is from the document filed in court today. Quote, 
At 12.35 p.m. on January 24th, 2017, the first Tuesday after the presidential inauguration, General Flynn received a phone call from then Deputy Director of the FBI, Andrew McCabe, on a secure phone in his office in the West Wing. General Flynn had for many years been accustomed to working in cooperation with the FBI on matters of national security. He and Mr. McCabe briefly discussed a security training session the FBI had recently conducted at the White House before Mr. McCabe, by his own account, stated that he, quote, felt that we needed to have two of our agents sit down with General Flynn to talk about his communications with Russian representatives. This was a conversation among government peers. This was supposed to be people on the same team talking. And now we don't have a transcript of what McCabe, oh, by the way, a multiple liar under oath and therefore should be multiple felon. Who wants to guess whether there'll be criminal charges filed against McCabe by the DOJ? I'm guessing no. But he lied. He lied three times, according to the inspector general. He lied under penalty of perjury. Why isn't McCabe? Oh, that's right. McCabe won't get prosecuted because this is all about getting Trump. This is a disgrace. It's disgusting what these people are doing to this administration and by extension to all of the people who voted for this administration, who believe in it and hope for the best for our country as a result of Donald Trump's win over Shrillery Clinton. General Flynn was made to believe that he was just having a normal, casual uh, talk as the national security advisor with subordinate federal employees. I'm sure McCabe said something to him along. Yeah, you know, there's this thing about you and the ambassador. Let's, you know, let's just let's just sit and just, you know, our guys just want We just need to go on the record with that. Just just tell us some of the stuff. You know, no big deal. No big whoop. Okay. Mr. McCabe's this goes back now to the court documents. Mr. McCabe's account states, quote, I explained that I thought the quickest way to get this done was to have a conversation between General Flynn and the agents only. I further stated that if Lieutenant General Flynn wished to include anyone else in the meeting, like the White House counsel, for instance, that I would need to involve the Department of Justice. General Flynn stated that this would not be necessary and agreed to meet with agents without any additional participants. So... KG McCabe here says, look, you know, we're just we're just going to send over a couple of guys. We're going to talk to you about this. Oh, yeah, that training we did last week. Wasn't that great? You're so great, General Flynn. You know, we got to have, you know, our kids should go uh, should, you know, get together. We should play a little baseball on the weekend sometime soon. We're just going to send over a couple of FBI guys. They just got to talk to you about this thing. No big deal. Oh, no, no. You you don't want to have lawyers there, man. That's going to make it because then I got to send the lawyers. No, we're just going to have a talk. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It'll be over in five minutes. Now, you can say, well, Buck, Flynn just shouldn't have, Flynn shouldn't lie. He should know. He should. First of all, Flynn's not a law enforcement guy. Very different skill set. He's a military man. He's about facing down our enemies on the battlefield. And, you know, our side versus their side. He's not used to, you know, what, what goes on here with these FBI types. He's not somebody who's dealing with the tools of law enforcement that often involve dissembling, lying, presenting yourself under false pretenses. And this is all set up. Remember, he's not accused of treason. He's not accused of some serious crime. 
The, the pretext for this need to talk to him in the first place is that little resistance pain Sally Yates with her whole, oh, the Logan Act, and maybe the Russians can can blackmail him because he lied about the conversation with the ambassador, which they can't blackmail him over that. He'd say, yeah, I misremembered it. That, that, their whole premise here is bull. It's bull. They're going to blackmail him. Oh, uh, you'd better tell, uh, you better give us all the secret nuclear codes or else we're going to tell people that you you lied about your conversation about non-criminal activity with uh, Kizilyak. He'd be like, all right, I just would say that I, you know, I misremembered that it was a conversation on the phone. I didn't remember. It's no big deal. I didn't send, uh, you know, I, I didn't think it was it was going to be any issue. That's that's not blackmailable. That's not blackmailable. It's just not. But so why? And the DOJ would know that. So why would they say it was their word up blackmail? They needed an excuse. This was all about the excuse to put Flynn in a situation where they could get him. They don't do, you don't do this to, he wasn't, by the way, oh, oh, let, let me get into the details here. But, you know, this isn't done within the federal government to each other. Whenever, I mean, I, I remember I had to sit through a couple of hearings for a few different things, you know, NYPD side, CIA side. And whenever there was this, we got the security folks, internal watchdog folks talking to your look, you were told, you were told. You know, they're not, they don't send some guy undercover into your office to talk to you at the water cooler and try to find out, you know, are you, are you committing like time and attendance fraud or something? That's not how they do this. All right. More into the, uh, so, so McCabe obviously tried to get the situation to be exactly what it was, which was that, that he sent struck McCabe, a liar and a Hillary partisan struck an anti-Trump lunatic. These are the two people that are involved in this so far and some other FBI agent that's not yet really named or known. But he sends Strzok, the anti-Trump freak, to go and talk to Flynn. Made sure that there was no counsel in the room with him whatsoever. You know how many, you know how many lawyers, when Strzok, oh, that's right, Another time when he's at the nexus here. What, the FBI, does the FBI only have four people? Because when you look at Hillary and you look at Trump and the key points here in these investigations, there's only a few people that seem to matter. And they're anti-Trump, pro-Hillary maniacs. What a shock. When Strzok interviewed Hillary about her emails, she had nine lawyers at my count in the room, okay? She had an army of lawyers with her. She was allowed to have Cheryl Mills, who was her white, I mean, her uh, State Department chief of staff, in the room with her, coordinating with her as her lawyer. Meanwhile, she's actually a part of the, she should be a part, she should be a target of the investigation. They're treating her like she's Hillary's lawyer. They bent over backwards to make sure that Hillary would have no problems, and they went in the complete opposite direction with Flynn and with everybody associated with Trump. That much is clear. But we hear more about the the details here that came out. This all just came out today in the Flynn uh, in the Flynn sentencing. Um, less than two hours later, this is after the meeting. FBI Deputy Assistant Director Peter Strzok and a, sef, a second. I'm sorry, this is right before the meeting, and a second FBI agent arrived at the White House to interview General Flynn. By the agent's account, General Flynn was relaxed and jocular 
and offered to give the agents a little tour of the area around his West Wing office. The agents did not provide General Flynn with a warning of the penalties for making a false statement under 18 U.S.C. 1001 before, during, or after the interview. Prior to the FBI's interview of General Flynn, Mr. McCabe and other FBI officials decided the agents would not warn Flynn that it was a cry to lie during an FBI interview because they wanted Flynn to be relaxed. And they were concerned that giving the warnings might adversely affect the rapport, one of the agents reported. Yeah, they were setting him up. Before the interview, FBI officials also had to decide that if Flynn said he did not remember something they knew he said, they would use the exact words Flynn used to try to refresh his recollection. If Flynn still would not confirm what he said, they would confront him or talk him through it. One of the agents reported that General Flynn was unguarded during the interview and clearly saw the FBI agents as allies. They had the transcript. They had the transcript of what comes from counterintelligence collection that was leaked to the press, probably by one of these names we already know in this whole debacle, one of these anti-Trump, deep state, DOJ lunatics. And then they use information from a counterintelligence investigation to try and trap the incoming national security advisor, speaking to him under at least softened, if not false, pretenses. Why, why would, why would if, if McCabe had any interest at all, any interest at all in trying to protect a decorated war hero and veteran's career and reputation and life, because Flynn's life is being ruined by this. McCabe is a decades-long FBI guy. He would know. Of course you have a lawyer in the room. Of course you have a lawyer in the room. McCabe set him up. McCabe set him up because him and his wife wanted Hillary to win. And Strzok and these other little petty tyrants from within the federal bureaucracy, they think that they're setting it all right by stopping Trump, by taking down his people. But in the process, you know, they've shown themselves to be dishonorable. These people have no honor. A person with honor would not be able to do, and a senior FBI officer would not be able to, to set up General Flynn the way they did. These, these individuals struck McCabe and others involved in this. Yates, Comey, the whole crew. They are a disgrace to this country. And along with Brennan, they have disgraced law enforcement and the intelligence community. I don't even feel as proud of my intelligence community service as I used to because now everybody realizes that these places are run by maniacs, by left-wing collectivist tyrants. We'll have more on, on Flynn with Andy McCarthy. You know, I'll put all my theories, all my thoughts on this to the test with Andy. We'll ask what he thinks about this. He's always very fair-minded. He was. He said, okay, let's see what the special counsel does in the beginning. Never forget that. Andy used to come on this show, and he was willing to give them a fair shot. And now he's, he's about as appalled as I am. And he worked in the Southern District of New York for almost 30 years. And he used to tell me he was a hard prosecutor. You did not want to get Andy if you were guilty. He's told me that many times. Well, let's talk about the Cohen sentencing today. Tell you how much time he got in case you don't know and what we can make of that. And then we got the, the border and the shutdown and show is jammed. So stay right there, team. I'll be back. 
And I will also note with great irony, Michael Cohen will report to federal prison exactly one year after we filed the case on behalf of Stormy Daniels. Michael Cohen was sentenced today. Donald Trump is next. That's right. Left-wing hero Avenatti having a taking a little victory lap there while while Cohen's wife and children are shattered and crying, you know, because remember, Cohen didn't murder anyone, he didn't kidnap anyone, he didn't, you know, he didn't bludgeon anyone, didn't steal from anyone. Lying, paperwork fraud, tax fraud. That's basically that's basically what he's guilty of. Now, I'm not saying that's okay, but I don't think you have to, you know, hide hide uh, hide the women and children, folks. You know, M- Michael Cohen's out and about. Oh no, what are we gonna do? Avenatti, by the way, uh, wasn't he accused of uh, felony domestic violence recently? Yeah, that guy. Also, the one who came forward with the incredibly fraudulent claims of the third accuser, Julie Swetnick, who was just a, a huge crazy liar, uh, going after Brett Kavanaugh. That's right, she was a liar. Isn't it? Isn't it good to just be able to say what's true? Doesn't it feel nice to hear what's true? Oh, are you calling her a liar? Yes, she was a liar. Yes, Christine Blasey Ford, either delusional or a liar. Michael Cohen uh, saying that, uh, or Michael Cohen rather, got got three years. Three years, which is, uh, you know, 36 months. At the pretty low end of things here. People are saying that maybe he'll, um, maybe he'll even have more information for the special counsel. They're all hope, hope, hoping there's more information for the special counsel. Uh, I just know that Mueller's trying to drag this thing out as long as possible. He at least has to wait until the new Congress comes. And this is my thinking because, because then people will forget about when you get Pelosi and all the crazy Dems uh, going after Trump and everybody around him with subpoenas, then Mueller can, that's when Mueller can wind it down. Not going to wind it down before then. Um, Not going to wind it down before the end of January and probably not even for a month or two into it. Because he's going to wait until the Democrats, you know, then they're the check on Trump. That's the way this is going to be talked about. Because he doesn't have the goods. He doesn't have collusion. We all know it. And this whole thing is, I'd just call it a farce, but there's nothing funny about it. It's really just dangerous, destructive. Um, why did Trump have a lawyer like Cohen near him? You know, he liked the guy. And look, Cohen was clearly a liability, but I can understand personal, personal loyalty is a liability in my own life sometimes. It's, uh, it's a thing that you got to deal with. So what really happened with General Flynn? Why is he now in a position after decades of serving his country, after being uh, in multiple combat zones, after running the Defense Intelligence Agency, incoming National Security Advisor, and now he's begging essentially uh, a judge not to send him to prison? What really went down here? We've got somebody who can look between the lines and through the lines and tell you exactly what's happening here. Andy McCarthy is with us now. He's, of course, a Fox News contributor, also of National Review, where he's doing a lot of great writing. Andy, thanks for coming back. Buck, it's my pleasure. Uh, Andy, you know, there's so much. Let me just give the floor to you first, because I have some specifics about the Flynn sentencing request memo that's out there. I read through I read through it today up to the point where it was all the letters of people that are saying he's a great guy because, OK, he's a great guy. But there were some interesting takeaways. What was your biggest takeaway? Well, obviously, one of the things that I've been complaining about since the beginning of the Flynn investigation is what was the basis for investigating him? And I think what we saw was that there was not only uh you know, no real basis for an investigation. In fact, when the Senate, or I'm sorry, the House Intelligence Committee looked at this, 
they asked a bunch of different witnesses, I think three or four different witnesses, what was the predicate for the Flynn investigation. They got three or four different answers. Nobody can, nobody can seem to give a good reason for it. Uh, and that, I think, shows in the way they treated him, Buck, at the beginning by, by basically deciding that they were going to orchestrate an interview that would have been in pursuit of a criminal investigation without a crime, but try to make him think it wasn't a criminal interview. It was just going to be him talking to a couple of veteran agents, uh, not, you know, no problem, just the basic information thing to clear up a few things about Russia. And he was uh, obviously discouraged even from involving White House lawyers, let alone his own lawyers. And it's a real departure from the FBI's normal procedures where when they're going to conduct a criminal investigation, everybody acts on the up and up and they tell the person they're interviewing, here's the reason why we're talking to you today, that it's a criminal investigation. They make it clear to him uh, that, you know, among other things, he's got uh, a right to talk to counsel and to have somebody else present at the interview. Uh, That's pretty standard fare. But here they essentially, as I see it, discouraged him from having any help at the interview. Andy, is it is it fair in your estimation to say, and this is a conclusion that I've drawn in this, but now I feel more strongly about it, but I want to know if I'm getting ahead of where this is, that if Sally Yates helped push this along at DOJ under the uh, Logan Act theory, that that's just acting in bad faith? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I think, Buck, that as I've said all along, the Logan Act is not a legitimate reason to open a criminal investigation against anyone uh, because they don't prosecute it. It's been on the books for more than two centuries. It's never been successfully used in a criminal prosecution. But if you're going to dust it off and try to use it despite all the constitutional objections to it, the place not to use it, and let's, let's make sure our listeners know, the Logan Act purports to make it basically illegal for American citizens to involve themselves in foreign relations without the government's permission. Um, The one place that you wouldn't want to invoke it if you were going to, in a novel way, invoke it would be a situation where you have a transition official for an incoming administration who's not only a high transition official, but is actually the designated incoming national security advisor whose job is to deal with foreign governments, among other things. And now you're going to say it's illegal for him to be having contacts with foreign parties? That's insane. It is insane. And that, and we're, we're at the insanity level here, which is, I think, so important for everybody to know. And with more facts, I would note, this whole effort to get Flynn looks even worse. There, there's been nothing ever since they brought this charge that makes me think, oh, wow, may, maybe Flynn you know, really did do something here that was egregious uh, instead of I, you know, misremembering. You know, Andy, a question I have for you. you know, so, so when I was in the CIA, if I lied to somebody else in the CIA, as far as I knew, uh, I probably wasn't going to be guilty of, of, a, of a crime, right? So if I lied to one of my colleagues when I, about some issue of work, um, you know, if I said I told the president this and I actually didn't tell the president this, they're not going to they're not going to jam me up for that. How do they draw this line? You know, when when are you in jeopardy speaking to a federal and I wasn't law enforcement, obviously, in that capacity. But when when do you actually have that jeopardy in place? Because what it sounds like to me is that they made it seem like Flynn was talking to some FBI guys 
to just set something straight. And so he thought he was talking to colleagues. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and in fact, it's it's in some ways worse than that, Buck, because this is, if I'm remembering right, this is like the third or fourth day on the job for Flynn. Yep, so the first having, Tuesday after the transition. Right. So he's having the, um, you know, he's having multiple meetings as the new national security advisor. So who does the, he talks to the deputy FBI director who wants to send over the bureau's top counter espionage agent. You know, he had every reason to think that this is a normal, you know, at that kind of level of government meeting, which was probably one of 20 he had that day on those kinds of topics. So, again, I think, you know, the big deal here is if you want to have a criminal investigation on Flynn, then have a criminal investigation on Flynn. But at least go in the front door, have everybody's eyes open, tell them what it's about, uh, and you know, treat him like he's a normal investigative subject. Instead, they traded on the relationship that you would think high-ranking national security officials would have with each other, except Flynn's thinking he's talking to colleagues, and they're thinking they're conducting a criminal investigation and doing an interview that could put him in jeopardy. And, and Buck, if I could say one other thing about what's, what's going on with Flynn, which I think may be the most outrageous of all, um, Flynn is a first offender who's looking at a fairly trivial process crime for which, for anybody, the sentencing guidelines would be zero to six months. But on the positive side of the ledger for him, he's a heroic combat veteran of the United States who spent 30 years rendering courageous service to this country. And as a result, there's not a federal judge in America who was ever going to put Mike Flynn in jail. If Mueller had done nothing, Flynn gets a no-jail sentence. And the reason I point that out is, what do you see happen here? Mueller files a motion under the sentencing guidelines asking the judge not to impose jail time. That is to say, asking the judge to do what the judge is going to do anyway. So when it happens, inevitably, what is the story going to be? It's not it's, The story is going to be that Flynn got a no-jail sentence because of the valuable cooperation that he gave to Mueller's investigation. Uh, he's just piggybacking. Goes, oh, oh, there must be some collusion here. Yeah. And then they look at Mueller's filing, and they see it's half-redacted, and they say, oh, this must be the explosive stuff that he gave him in order to get the— get the you know the sentencing consideration in the meantime the guy wasn't going to get any jail time in the first place yeah it's 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 absurd i mean you know andy there there's so much here i mean for one you know just just to my, my question about you know when you're in the federal government and i had federal peers you had federal peers i mean if you were sitting in a meeting with a bunch of fbi guys when you were you know an assistant u.s attorney and let's just say that you did have some kind of a memory lapse and you said something that was factually untrue. And they're asking you, you know, did you speak to witness A? And you said, no, I don't think I ever spoke to witness A. Uh, and then they, if they came in a day later and said, you know, Andy, we've got a phone call record or you did speak to that witness. I mean, are you going to prison? I just I want to know, you know, when you're among peers in the federal government, what you know, if you're, and you're not told it's a criminal investigation, you're not told the lawyer up. Where's the line? Well, yeah, this is another thing that's a big problem with this. Why did they have to ask Flynn? Why did they have to interview him about 
conversations that they had recordings of. Um, I can't see, since you have a recording of the conversation, um, they know very well whether, for example, Flynn talked to Kislyak, who was the Russian ambassador, about sanctions, or he didn't because they have the they have the recording, right? So what's the point of asking Flynn whether he talked to Kislyak about sanctions if they know he talked to Kislyak about sanctions, unless it's to try to get him to say something that's different from what they have on the recording? And ordinarily, if you were in good faith talking to somebody in a situation where you weren't trying to get them jammed up on a false statement, what you would do is, if, if, if it was really important to the FBI to understand the context and maybe any un- unclear or ambiguous parts of the conversation between Kislyak and Flynn, why not play the conversation for Flynn and ask him, what did this mean, what did that mean? Instead, what they did was they asked him, did you say this, did you say that, in connection with a conversation that they had a recording of and they knew damn well whether he had said this or said that. Andy, can we run into a quick break and come back? So I also I want to ask a couple more about this and, and go into a little bit of Cohen. Do you have time? Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, we got more with Andy McCarthy on the flip side. Stay with us. All right, welcome back, team. We've got Andy McCarthy of Fox News and National Review joining us here. As you probably know, if you listen to the show, Andy was an assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York for uh, decades. So, uh, Andy, before we get to the Cohen issue, which, of course, brings the Southern District, your old stomping ground, right into the mix. Here, I I really need to know, are we ever going to find out about this time lag between the Flynn meeting and the decision to file charges? Are we ever going to find out? Uh, what they said to him and what he supposedly lied about. And can the president just say, you know what, whatever the FBI has on this, it's public now because he's being sentenced. Why not? Well, the answer to the last question is the president could unseal any of this stuff, and it would be a good thing if he did. Uh, But yes, absolutely, they can put all of this out. My personal view of it, looking at the sentencing memo, but is that this is all about Turkey. And what I mean by that is the sequence of events is in January, right after uh, everybody goes into office, so right after the inauguration. They interview Flynn, and they make a decision that they're not going to prosecute him because even if there are failures of recollection, they seem to be innocent ones, and he's not trying to lie to them. Uh, In May, Mueller is appointed, uh, and they later decide suddenly – to second-guess the guys who are in the room and charge him with false statements. The intervening event between those two things is this whole business about he was questioned about um, Turkey, as, it, as, it, uh, as it's laid out in the sentencing memo. And one of the things they discussed there <clears throat> is they were pressing him on the Flynn corporations or the Flynn businesses dealings with Turkey and whether they were acting as a foreign agent without um, without registering. And I think the reason that that's relevant is that's the only part of the sentencing memo where they talk about the Flynn business or the Flynn uh, company. That's the company he had with his son. And I think the not-so-subtle message here or there is that if they were going to pursue 
criminal charges on the Turkey matter because of this failure to register as a foreign agent, which didn't used to be up until the Mueller investigation, something that the Justice Department got too whipped up about. Uh, it was going to be jeopardy not only for General Flynn, but for his son. And I right, which also makes sense as to why, I mean, when you see that sentencing memo, it's, oh, Flynn takes, Flynn takes full responsibility. He understands. He takes full responsibility. And, you know, they've got a metaphorical gun to his head on this stuff. Yeah, I, I think that's what the turkey stuff really is. Yeah. Uh, so, so on the now, I mean, I could get into this at, at, at some, but, but will we ever find out what was said in that meeting? Or are they going to try to keep that from us in the Flynn meeting? You, you mean, are we ever going to see the FBI's 302, the, uh, yes. or whatever reporter, the interview they did? Uh, unless the president unseals it, I don't see how we would see it. Okay. Um, and now, Andy, the on to Cohen. We only got a couple minutes here. Caveat, Buck, I'd say the only caveat to that is if it's relevant to the inspector general's investigation, but I don't know about that. Now, uh, we've been talking about the, the Cohen situation here on the, sh- on the show at some length. Obviously, he got three years today, which is, people say, kind of at the lower end. But, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like there's a very aggressive prosecutorial tactics being used by the Southern District, by the special counsel. So it's hard to think of there being much, much mercy involved here under, under the circumstances. That all said, uh, d- d- you know, you've got a lot of people running around. Judge Knapps, whom I like, Judge Napolitano over from... Uh, from Fox, you know, saying that he thinks there could be evidence or they, the Southern District may have uh, evidence of felony crimes committed by the president. What, what's what's your take on that? I, I think that um, what happened with uh, Cohen today was pretty much standard fare in criminal cases. I mean, this was a case where the prosecutors were essentially recommending 42 months and the judge gave the judge gave 36 months. It's pretty common for a sentencing judge uh, to give a slightly lower sentence than the prosecutor is asking for. Um, So this really is within the norm of that. Um, If there were lots and lots of information damaging against the president, what you would expect, especially if Cohen was involved in it, was they would have made him plead guilty to those instances and then he would say, here's what I did, here's what the president did. And then they would have him, you know, in store as a witness to testify about those transactions. Instead, what they seem to have done is strain to make a case based on the campaign finance laws, which ordinarily aren't even treated as a crime, and which here there's a, there's a pretty uh, serious legal challenge to whether this is actually an in-kind campaign contribution at all. I have to think, Buck, if they had something better than that, they would have gone with something other than a campaign finance violation. Real quick, Andy, we only got a, a few seconds here before I had to close out. Are you concerned for the president in terms of legal jeopardy? Not on this stuff at the moment. I mean, I think he should, he's got to take it seriously. They're clearly trying to make a case on him in, in the Southern District. But I think the bigger problem for him is come January, the Democrats in the House have subpoena power. That's going to be very difficult to govern, and, it's, and there's going to be a lot of unknown out there that they're going to be poking around in. Yeah, agreed. Andy McCarthy, everybody, check out his latest, read NashReview.com, and also look for him on Fox News. Andy, thanks so much for the time, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure, Buck. Take care. Oh, man. They, they did Flynn dirty, everybody. That's for sure. If you're making a list and checking it twice, you better put Black Rifle Coffee at the top of that list, Mr. and Mrs. Claus. Make it 
happen, all right? That's the best gift you can give anybody this Christmas, other than, of course, love, affection, and patriotism. But really, Black Rifle is my coffee of choice. I drink it every morning, all right? Black Rifle is the way I get my day going. It's delicious. It's coffee that you should all be drinking, too. And they've got a coffee club, so that makes everything really easy for you. You just pick your blend with the amount you want, and Black Rifle will ship it right to your door, and you can gift Black Rifle to somebody else. So hook somebody else up with the best coffee you can get out there from a company that's all about supporting America and veterans. It's the best-tasting, most energizing coffee you can get. Black Rifle Coffee is the gift that keeps on giving. Visit blackriflecoffee.com buck and receive 15% off your order that's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Again, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. This is the most significant campaign contribution ever in the history of the United States. These two contributions very well may have swung the election. Point to another pair of campaign contributions that were so directly tied to the outcome. He basically fraudulently obtained the office by committing felonies. Someone who corruptly gains the office of president cannot be allowed to retain that office. Might this be the greatest crime in American history? Might this be the greatest crime in American history? Says Steve Schmidt, the smartest guy on MSNBC. I mean, that might be, might this be the dumbest thing I've ever heard on television, period. Yes. Yes, I think so. The greatest crime in American history. I mean, a, a country that has had you know, slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, a civil war, uh, you know, go, go down the list of, of all the of all the, the terrible things that have gone. The greatest crime in American history. I and mean, we have mass murderers. We have <laughs> it's like this. This is the greatest crime ever. How could someone say something so stupid on cable television and be applauded for it? The answer is we live in a time of. Democrat mass delusion. This is why I this is why I play their words for you. This is so you can hear them. I'm not the one who's sitting here talking crazy. They're talking crazy. Trump's campaign contribution, the most significant ever, they are saying. Well, let's let's dig into that for a moment, shall we? Mark Penn has been pointing out, among others, that Congress has been paying off sex accusers with a special fund it set up since 1998. Here, let's work through some of the details of this. Play 21. In this return back to 1998 again, a little thing happened here that there are 268 settlements in Congress, many of them presumably done during the election period, that if this was a true precedent, we'd have to lock up scores of congressmen, lock them up now. That actually was taxpayer money that they used for those settlements. But those settlements, if you follow the logic of this, would be campaign contributions, which was why the logic of this is broken. Yep. The logic is broken. And when you... So so just so, to be clear about the, the details here, Congress set up a fund. It's taxpayer money Congress set aside to pay off people who accuse members of Congress of sexual harassment in secret. So it's not public. Now, if paying off somebody who accuses you of sexual harassment is a campaign contribution then all of these members of Congress stretching back for about 20 years 
who have had taxpayer dollars, not even their own money, using taxpayer dollars to do this. That would be like they're taking taxpayer dollars for their campaigns illegally. But on top of that, they did not disclose it. So if it is a comp, if it is a campaign contribution for Donald Trump to pay off a sexual harassment uh, or in this case, not even harassment, it, it, Donald Trump didn't harass her. Just this is just this is just straight up extortion, by the way. I mean, this is over an over an affair. Uh, if it's a problem for him, though, it's a problem for the rest of Congress. Play 22 they're going to have a problem if they push impeachment and there was a settlement in their office that could have affected one of their elections because they're going to be asked the question, did you or someone in your office cause a settlement to be entered into sometime in the year of your election? And are you a felon now if Donald Trump is a felon? I didn't like 98 and I don't like what's going on today for the very same reason that you can't remove presidents for these reasons. You know, we just... We just see the partisan warfare playing out, and you know, Democrats have absolutely no principles whatsoever here. Um, and you see this from the way that they were so quick to hop on the Avenatti bandwagon. The guy is scummy, just scummy. And they're so quick to try to use Stormy Daniels to bring down this president. Um, and yet, when you dig into the details a little bit, I, I, I do, I am waiting, and I... Oh, I should have asked. I We had Andy McCarthy on. I would have asked this question if I had remembered. I'll ask him the next time. Or I'll send him a text message and I'll find out what I can. Uh, but how, how is it not extortion exactly? What happened to Trump? Remember, he, there was no, he's no criminal. Trump did nothing criminal, was not even alleged to have done anything criminal with Stormy Daniels. She was just saying, oh, basically, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin your life and your family unless you pay me money. Because I'm, I'm going to tell everybody that we had an affair. Whether you believe he had the affair or not, as I point out, this is terribly I mean, disgusting thing. Look, Stormy Daniels is obviously a very damaged person, very unethical, very gross person. Um, but this is how the media reacts to a revelation that really the president has been extorted. Play clip 11. They say Trump directed, that's the word for lawyer Michael Cohen, to cover up a campaign contribution in the form of payments to two women with whom he had sexual relations. Some top Republicans are dismissing the allegations that Donald Trump directed his former fixer, Michael Cohen, to make illegal hush money payments to two women during the 2016 campaign. It's incredible. To me, this is despicable. A simple private transaction in which a porn star was paid $130,000 to keep silent in the final months of a presidential campaign. There ain't nothing simple about that. Let's remember, these payoffs are about the president having affairs with women soon after his wife had a baby. Just trying to trash the president over this stuff. Just going after him. Meanwhile, he doesn't even admit the affair. He says he didn't do it. I I don't know. I well, you know, I, I've seen no evidence that he did it. Could I believe that he did it? Sure, but I've seen no evidence of any kind. And given that this wasn't that long ago, I find that very very hard to believe. But you know, you have all this puritanical streak from the left on this issue now, and and I don't just mean from the left generally. I mean from people in the media who were around back in the 90s and uh my main man producer mike for example pulled together a little a little montage for us here of what the democrats were saying back when bill clinton was in a little trouble for oh that's right as they said lying about an affair play 23 
lying about an extramarital affair does not rise to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. Violating a marital vow, it is not an impeachable offense. The underlying issue is about sex. Impeachment was designed to rid this nation of traitors and tyrants, not attempts to cover up extramarital affairs. Covering up a private sexual affair cannot compare to the Nixon precedent. This is a Republican coup d'etat. Bill Clinton is guilty of certain indiscretions in his private life. However, he did not commit high crimes and misdemeanors. We have become the laughingstock of the entire world because a sexual scandal. Perjury regarding sex is not a great and dangerous offense against the nation. It is not an impeachable offense. Not an impeachable offense, they were saying then. Who wants to guess if they will use their words from 1998 to guide them now in their judgments about whether we currently have a president who has committed impeachable offenses? Ooh, ooh, who wants to guess? I think we're all very clear. There's no principle involved here. There is only power and the struggle for it. And that is what the left wants, and they will do anything to get it. And Trump stands in their way. Therefore, they will use any tricks, any play any dirty games, do whatever they have to do. And we are supposed to forget about the history of how they've acted in the past and, and allow them to just, just contort the law. I mean, these are the, the, the ways that they've come after Trump so far. It's all so flimsy and it's so desperate. And they just try, you know, the, the Logan Act, the Emoluments Clause, the you know, the, the, the tax returns, the, the this, the that, the paying off, the FEC violations. I mean, they're just coming at him with everything they can. You show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Lavrenti Beria of the secret police in the Soviet Union. That is the principle at work here. In fact, you had a, a the incoming, uh, the incoming state Attorney General in New York. I mean, this is really hard, really hard to believe. This is true, though. New York Attorney General-elect Letitia James says she plans to launch sweeping investigations into President Trump, his family, and anyone in his circle who may have violated the law. They're saying it out loud, folks. This is the New York Attorney General. Remember, can't pardon people for state crimes. So that's why they love those New York. They love getting New York state investigations going. The incoming senior most law enforcement official for the state of New York, Trump's home state, my home state, is saying we're going after Trump, his family and anyone in his inner circle. This is police state garbage. Did you believe that Google CEO when he was trying to tell us all on Capitol Hill that there's no bias in Google search algorithms against conservatives? Please, my friends. We know that the left has not just infiltrated, but in fact dominates social media. If you want a place where you can post and you can exchange thoughts and ideas and know that there's no left-wing bias, go check out Snippy.com. And if you've looked at Snippy.com and left, you need to look again. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com and they're expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Snippy's an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without suppression from administrators. It's a place where everyone's free to express their thoughts and share their opinions. All right, there's no shadow banning, no conservative thought suppression 
ever. Totally free to join. Check it out for yourself. Start an account today. Snippy.com. Again, S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Your new alternative social media. It's sort of unfortunately that the president choose to shut down the government, that we have a Trump shutdown as a Christmas present, a holiday present to the American people. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi waging a war on Christmas. You know, it's so funny. The libs get so triggered. They get so angry when we bring up that they seem to have a problem. They, they do seem to have an, an issue with Christmas, uh, that that much is is at least it's it's apparent to me. I mean, I I think they do have problems uh, with Christmas as a holiday. It's just not culturally. Even the ones who are who are ostensibly Christian, you know, they want to oh, we've got to be so inclusive. And I mean, just I won't get it right now, but for fun, read about the history of Kwanzaa. I mean, read about where Kwanzaa comes from, who came up with it, and and the notion of like Kwanzaa wreaths in high school classrooms and stuff. It's the more you know about it, the more you're like, this is really, I mean, it's, it's really up there with, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the church of the flying spaghetti monster or whatever. I mean, it's not a real holiday in any, in any notable sense. I mean, it's not a holiday. There's any connection to any religion or anyway. Um, but okay. Yeah. I mean, you could say Hanukkah, obviously, but you could say happy Hanukkah. You could say Merry Christmas. You could say both of these things. You don't have to eliminate one so that you're, but Pelosi is like that, but on this shutdown, which we'll be talking more about. We got we got uh, Congressman Louis Gohmert's going to be joining us later on this hour, which I think will be uh, quite a bit of we'll get quite a bit of insight. I just also just like Louis. I mean, I've I've known Louis since my early days at the Blaze, and he's just he's a really good guy. And he's always fun to talk to. But, you know, Senator John Kennedy is saying, for example, that he doesn't think he doesn't think that the that this shutdown is a bluff. I I, I as you know have been pretty cynical about this. I, I've thought, oh, yeah, another, oh, there's going to be a shutdown. Like, they always say this. But I, I am very doubtful that there will, in fact, be a shutdown. I had been very doubtful until this meeting with Trump and Pelosi and Schumer where he's like, oh, I'll shut it down. Oh, I'll shut it down. Senator Kennedy, play 10. I think we're going to have a shutdown for two reasons. Number one, um, uh, President Trump does not look to me like he, he was bluffing or is bluffing. And number two, I don't think uh, 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 Speaker Pelosi uh, is going to agree to anything because she's worried about her speakership. As far as I'm concerned, if it's shut down, it's a pox on all of our houses. I don't know politically who's going to win or lose this. I do know that too many people are preoccupied with, that, with the politics of it. Um, we ought to try to figure a way out of this. I'm just saying, based on what I've seen, and I could be wrong, and I hope I am, because a government shutdown would, would not serve the American people well. I don't think President, Bluff, uh, President Trump is bluffing, and I don't think Speaker Pelosi is going to give an inch because she wants to be Speaker. And if I've learned anything up here, uh, and I hate to say it, but most people in Washington care about uh, their jobs first. That's definitely true. Careerism is rife here in D.C. Uh, in fact, more so than I think in a lot of other places and a lot of other industries. I mean, the industry here in the district is politics. And with that, there's a, unfortunately, it's very lucrative. A lot of access, a lot of lobbyists and, and people that are representative of different interests that are just finding ways to suckle at the government teat. Uh, this is why you have, I don't even know, it's five or seven now of the top 10 
wealthiest counties in America per capita, you know, per individual, per household, are the ones that are right around Washington, D.C. Now, this, this, is, this, is where, this is where the that special sweet sauce, you can get a lot of it here in D.C., a lot, lot of honey for people that know how to get special access to the, to the hive. And it's, it's a shame that that's the case. But, you know, that, that unfortunately drives a lot of the decision-making and a lot of the way that this city functions. Also why I just have a, you know, I'm here. It's great for my access to the, the people here, the politicians. I'm on Capitol Hill. I'm over at the White House. I'm, I'm running all over this town so I can bring you information. But, man, I, I, I miss anything that's not D.C. a lot of the time. That all said, Back to the, uh, the shutdown here. Is it going to be a Schumer shutdown part two? I mean, Schumer is um, really, I think, seething after yesterday. I, I read this report that President Trump threw a folder at the wall and was so angry. I said, I watched that here. I watched that whole sit down yesterday. He crushed Pelosi and Schumer. I mean, Pelosi was like in a daze and Schumer looked like, you know, somebody told him no nappy time today, you know, no nap nap. You know, can't go sleepy sleep. He was really unhappy. And uh, but here's here's the speaker, uh, not speaker, the uh, minority leader Schumer, fifteen. President is so used to obsequious advice. The president is so used to obsequious advisors, who failed to dispel his false and made-up facts, that he lives in a cocoon of his own mistruth. Leader Pelosi and I had to tell him, no, Mr. President, that's not true. We had to puncture that cocoon. And he threw a temper tantrum because of it. Well, the, the cocoon that he lives in where we should have border security? The cocoon where Democrats are trying to just demagogue the issue of the border without actually handling it? I mean, I'll talk to you in a moment about... I had a really interesting, fun exchange today on my show. I'm, you know, I was cool as a cucumber. As I, whenever I'm doing with libs, I try to be calm, you know, because it's not you. It's not worth. It's not my style to get all, Roar, you know, yell at them and everything else. I mean, I can do that, but I, I tend not to. Um, but this whole notion of what, what is at the center of the debate? We have the money. We can spend five billion dollars on an important government project that would that would stop a a massive problem. And when you look at opioids, but, you know, fentanyl is now the number one cause of overdose in America. And they're not getting it from drugstores, folks. They're getting it from cartels and from dealers. They're getting it illegally. Now, there's also a secondary black market, but that's a lot tougher. And, you know, anybody who's selling on the secondary black market is 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 really taking a huge risk because if they find out that you gave your fentanyl to somebody, that person dies, you sold them illegally, you're in big trouble. I mean, you, you might be looking at manslaughter charges. So, of course, the cartels don't care. That's why you've got over 70,000 people a year dying. I mean, this is a national security emergency. The drugs are flowing over our border. It's not just about stopping people. It's also about stopping the, uh, you know, forget about the, the caravans of people. It's the, the cartels and the, the caravans of drugs that are running into the country. It's killing 70,000 people a year. It's an urgent health crisis. And a wall would help. And every Border Patrol agent I have ever talked to, and I've talked to dozens and dozens of them in the last few years, every single one says the same thing. A wall would help. Nobody says a wall is a complete waste of time. Nobody. I've never heard. I mean, you know, you could tell me that there's someone out there who says it, who actually knows about the border, but I've never met anybody. 
And everybody in the San Diego border sector is like, oh, gosh, thank heavens we have the wall. In fact, they worry about the sections of the wall that aren't strong enough and aren't reinforced. That's their concern. We got to fight now on this issue. There must be a shutdown or a wall. And we have one fourth of the world's almost one fourth of the world's immigrants right in the United States, somewhere between 45 and 60 million. Look at countries that send people all over the world, China, India, Mexico, Turkey, and they lecture people on their supposed civic duties. And then those are the countries that are least likely to allow immigrants to come in to their own nation, whether in California or Nevada or Paris or London, that the administrative progressive elite feel that they can take the short term on popularity because they're changing the demography. They're creating a reason for larger government subsidies, entitlements and fealty with newcomers who don't really process themselves into the assimilation process. And then I think they also virtue signal that, that they're so moral people and their, their wealth or their influence or their positions insulate them from the ramifications of their own ideology. So they don't put their kids in schools with 50 percent non-English speakers in the case here in California. They live in gated communities. They don't feel that they're going to experience the downside firsthand. Instead, they say racist, xenophobe, and that deters these people who don't really make their feelings known unless the Pew poll or a poll like them asks them. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson is spot on here on immigration. I mean, like VDH is one of the great uh, contemporary intellectuals of our time, in, in my opinion. Uh, I guess contemporary and of our time are the same thing, but you know what I mean? He's one of the great intellectuals of our day. And on the issue of immigration, he just he just gets it. Uh, you know, we have a massive immigrant population in this country, legal and illegal. We take a million every year. And whenever we want to talk about maybe a million's a lot or maybe we should change something here or there, it's, oh, my gosh, you're racist. Are all changes to immigration racist? Is that is that the position that we're in? Apparently it is, if you listen to Democrats. Is the wall racist? Well, in fact, here's a perfect uh, perfect place to transition, transition into this. So today on, on Rising, um, and, you know, today there were two, we had a panel. Usually the panel is a, a Republican and a Democrat. There was a mistake today in the bookings. We had two Democrats. So it was Buck v. Three today on the panel. But please, I got Buck Foo. I got all kinds of ninja moves. I'm not worried about it. And, and I sat down on this, this, uh, this guy, actually, his name is Kelly, and he is from an organization that trains, and it's a pretty, from what I understand, a pretty prolific organization in this field. They train people, uh, Democrats, they train Democrats to run for office. So you, you call them and they say, we'll teach you. So it's really like community organizing for community organizers. Uh, and this organization, and he's the head of it. He runs this organization. So he's got some authority. So I, we're talking about immigration a little bit. And, and I just wanted to get down to first first things here, first principles for a moment. And so what is I wanted to hear from a Democrat who's very involved in you know progressive circles and progressive politics. Why are you so opposed to a wall? And and I want you all this is from this morning. I want you all to hear how this exchange went, because it's uh, it is illuminating. Play 17 state of American politics is, and the president threw a why, why are they so opposed to a wall, Kelly? Why are they so opposed to a wall? We have a wall in some places. Why not build more wall? 
Is what, this what, a, yeah. Why are we so opposed to a wall? I said, why are Democrats? Yeah. Why are they so opposed to a wall? The fundamental argument behind the wall that's made by the other party is that people are invading our country who are rapists and criminals and are threatening your that's, very that's, existence. That's a lot, that that's a lot of editorializing about, about, about what that's people what actually say with said. the wall. That's the argument. Hold on. Press pause. Press pause. Press pause. Notice how immediately I ask a very straightforward question. And, and we get a, we get two Democrats there coming in with, you know, with the exact same thing. But look what the president said. The president said that there are some rapists and there are some murderers coming across our border. That is a fact. That is a fact. They can try to, you know, run with this hyper literalism of he said rapists and murderers. He's saying they're all no one thinks they're all rapists and murderers, but there are some come across the border. But forget about the rapists and murderers. The argument is. For national sovereignty, we have to have control over everybody who comes in and comes out. So the argument is not that they're rapists and murderers. So, but just notice how immediately this guy who trains Democratic, his whole life's work is training Democrat activists. He goes to that. And then it continues on. Play. Act, which passed with major bipartisan support back in 2006 which was law, they just never funded it, was that there needs to be a barrier on our southern border to prevent illegal entry into the country. Right. So why is this such a bad idea? And if you want to run overshot over a bipartisan agreement and instead say we need a $5 billion wall that needs to be put up through private property, through nature, through et cetera, et cetera, so that we keep these rapists and criminals out, that characterizes a whole group of people, immigrants that made this country great, Okay, wait, can we just pause here for a second? Think about all the platitudes that are getting thrown in here. Yeah, we're going to have it go through Nate. Yes, I think it's okay. I think the desert will survive a wall through it. It's going to be okay. Uh, you know, but, but this is, oh, it's going to go through private property. Okay, well, we'll use eminent dona- domain and we'll pay people. Or we'll move the wall so that it doesn't go through their property. We'll figure that out too. Okay, So th- those are just logistics concerns. But that's not a reason not to build a wall. Oh, and then we go back to the the uh, the usual the people that made America great, the immigrants. No, actually, I like I like the Americans who are here, and I like the people who come here legally. I don't think that the illegal immigrants are the ones that we're going to just sit around and say they're the ones who have made America great. Uh, but keep playing it. Can we tear down the wall in San Diego? I think we should do. I think this is a difference of opinion of the best way to enforce. Border security. Wow. The head of border and patrol told not, us that they want a wall. So I think it's interesting when I hear all these Democrats well, the saying that there's, the, no point, there's no point in having a wall. I'm but, sorry, the head of the CIA told us that, that the Crown Prince ordered the killing of a right. journalist, but we don't that's, believe that's them. I mean, are we, we're going we're okay. to pick and choose which law enforcement we believe. Good time. CIA is not law enforcement. Swin makes a good point. Okay. Uh, a couple of things there. Yeah, you might have heard I said, yeah, that's what we call a non sequitur because that has nothing to do with anything. I'm talking about a wall, and now I want to talk about the CIA. And also, the CIA is not law enforcement. Fortunately, I used to work at the CIA, so I know these things. Um, but, you know, you, you couldn't get a real answer from this guy. I ask him, if a wall is so bad, if a wall is racist, why not tear down the wall in San Diego? Why should we have a wall there? Oh my gosh, it's this monument to racism. Can't get an answer. Why shouldn't we have a wall? Can't get an answer. Now, I, I, I can actually help him out if I, if I chose to and say, you could say it's too expensive. You could say it's not effective enough based on the cost of what it would be. It's too difficult and will take too much time. Uh, you could make those arguments. The problem is, though, when they get into the efficacy argument, you know what happens? Border Patrol, Customs, Immigration Enforcement, 
law enforcement. You know what they say? No, no, this is good. This is good. And then they can't use this. The experts don't say we should have walls. So the answer, why shouldn't we have a wall? Is because Democrats want illegal immigration. That is the answer to the question, and they should just say it. When the president said to Senator Schumer, I'll gladly take that mantle, I think what he was saying is I'll gladly and proudly take the mantle of doing what we told the voters we were going to do, which is build a border security wall. So, uh, yeah, the Freedom Caucus in particular, we took a position last night. We're going to support the president, the full five billion for the border security wall. And let's reform our asylum laws while we're at it, because that will address the problem. Democrats are for open borders. Democrats want to abolish right. ICE. Their, their, their party's champion in the last election, Secretary Clinton, what did she run on a borderless hemisphere? So I think it's, it's all part of that. But the president today, I think, made it pretty darn clear he's going to stand firm and focus on doing what we were elected to do. And I always say we make this job too complicated. That's a pretty basic thing to focus on. Don't get too complicated. Just do what you were elected right. to do. And we were certainly elected to build a border security wall. Border security, the wall, the shutdown. Big issues looming right now as we head into the Christmas uh, holiday just ahead. I want somebody who can shed light on all these things, and we've got one. Congressman Louis Gomert of the great state of Texas is with us now. Congressman Gomert, thanks so much for joining. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Buck. All right, let, let's just start, if I may, with the shutdown. I mean, President Trump in that meeting with Schumer and Pelosi was saying, you know, basically bring it. Uh, I, I'm going to shut this. I'm going to shut the government down. Unless you guys are willing to fund a wall. Do you think that the, the, the GOP is with them on this? I mean, is, is a shutdown a serious, uh, a serious threat from either side? Yeah, it is a serious threat from the president. It's a serious threat from the majority of the Republicans. The only question remains as to whether our elected Republican leaders will have that same feeling and commitment. Uh, because apparently the president's being told, gee, if, uh, if we don't have the votes in the Senate, then there's no sense the House trying to pass it, which uh, that sounds like the old deep state idea. But when the truth is, heck, the best way to put pressure against uh, to, to get the Senate to do something is for the House to pass it. And then once the House passes it, and I'm sure we'll pass it without uh, Nancy Pelosi's vote, uh, but once the House passes it, then we can all be doing media and help our president put pressure on the Senate to get it done. Now, the there, there is a huge problem there in trying to get 60 votes in the Senate, but there has been a way and to get this done under reconciliation. Paul Ryan was chairman of the Budget Committee. He has done this before. He knows how it's done. I brought it up to him weeks ago, and I got a kind of an eye roll. But, but the truth is, uh, there is a, a bill that would. It just simply says we do a an amendment to budget resolution and make spending. And, and in the bill is twenty five billion dollars. What what you know it would likely or we're told it would likely cost is what we should have done, and actually what some Democrats have voted for before. But uh, twenty five billion is mandatory spending, and all the. All that it will take is 50 or 51 votes, 50, because if there's a tie, then uh, Mike Pence would certainly support the president. So uh, there's no reason we wouldn't um, just amend a budget resolution so that we could do it with 50, 51 votes in the Senate uh, and and have 25 billion. If you want to only go five and get a, a good start, then fine. 
but uh, there's no reason that we shouldn't go ahead and pass it. Congressman, what is the what is the Democrat offer right now in terms of uh, you know what what they would want signed when it comes to the border, and, and what is the what is the GOP uh, request? Well, they don't want to. They do not want a wall. They do not want the president to have any kind of win at all, and they're scared to death of him being able to say in 2020 that uh, you know. I told you we'd get a wall built, and we built it. But, but so they're, they're offering what one point one point five billion, Congressman. They're offering one point five billion. What, what is that money for? The one point five, it's, it's supposedly to get a start going, but that's that would not be enough. And the Democrats know that that would not be enough for the president to say, "Look at the wall we built. It's, we built it where we need it." Well, you'd get a good start, but it would still be an issue that they would beat him over the head with in 2019-2020 saying, ah, look, you know, he promised a wall and they know they're going to do everything they can from keeping him from having something he can point to and say, see, told you. Got it and what was Speaker Pelosi or soon to be Speaker Pelosi, pardon me, but what was Nancy Pelosi talking about in the Oval Office when she was saying you don't have the votes. It seems to me that, one, how does she know that? And two, that defies belief. Well, she has said that before, uh, that, gee, the Republicans don't have the votes. And we've surprised her on votes before when we did have the votes. So uh, I think this would be one where we could and should surprise her again. But, yeah, she was saying we didn't have the votes in the House. You don't have the votes in the House to do this. Um, I think, uh, you know, we we sure ought to give it a good go. Now, uh, Tom DeLay, when he was majority leader, he said, you know, when I get over 200 votes, I'm ready to go to the floor because I figure, you know, with especially if we have the president's house when we get help when we get to the floor, then we can uh, get the last votes we need. Um, so we'll see. I think that's the way to do it. You know, get get it on the floor, get it passed. But I do think it, it only makes sense that we pass a, an amended budget resolution that allows us to do it under the reconciliation process. And the only I can only think of one reason why we wouldn't do that. And that is if our own elected Republican leaders don't want to to really fund even five billion for. Are you, is, is that on the Senate side or are you worried about some GOP I'm House members about as well? The House and the Senate side. Oh, my gosh. The House isn't even solid on this. Well, we're solid except for our leadership, I think. Uh, but I, I go back two years ago, November two years ago, when I got up at conference and I said, all right, look. Um, nobody has signed up to run against you, Paul, but I would like to know uh, where you stand because you have not supported a wall in the past. You have not supported a total border uh, security, and those are the two biggest things the president ran on. So I need to know, are you going to help the president get a wall built and, and, and totally secure the border? And he said, look, you're not understanding. We're getting along great. And I said, no, that's not my question. My question is, will you help the president get the wall built and secure the border? And he said, look, we're talking virtually every day. We're getting along great. There's no problems there. I said, that's not my question. My question is, will you help the president build, get the wall built and 
totally secure the border. And he said, we're doing fine. Uh, you're misreading this. And, and then uh, our uh, conference chair said, the gentleman's time has expired. And so I never got to answer my question. That was two years ago, right after. Con- Congressman Gomer, we, we got to run into a break in just a moment. I sure. a, a quick question for you. If we can't get this through, whether whether the shutdown you know doesn't go the way of the Republicans or whatever the final dispensation of that is, uh, can the president just order the military to do this? How does that work? Well, you know, actually, Bucky laid the groundwork earlier this year when he said this was a national emergency. And for heaven's sake, we had this massive caravan coming. It really was an invasion. Uh, we know that uh, there were more people killed in, in the last year from drugs. Uh, m- most uh, likely they came f- through or from Mexico, the drug cartels. And and that's, that's uh, as horrible and deadly as Vietnam was, that's more deaths of Americans than we lost in Vietnam in the whole Vietnam War. So he would have every legitimate basis for claiming it is a national emergency because it is. It is an invasion because it is. And with that, he can use the military however he needs to to stop this national emergency, stop the invasion. Congressman Louis Gomer to the great state of Texas. Congressman Gomer, always appreciate you coming by. We'll talk to you soon. Always appreciate your perspective, Buck. Thanks so much. Team, big hour coming up. Stay with us. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. Everyone listening to this, no matter how large or small your company is, you know, you got to have background checks done. Even though I was a top secret cleared person, when I went to the private sector, they had to do background checks on me, right? This is just the way it is, and it's the smart thing to do. But you need people doing those background checks that you can trust, that get you answers quickly, efficiently, and make sure they get the answers right that you need. That's global verification. You should, if you've got an existing contract with somebody in your background checks, call Global Verification and see what they can do for you. They're very competitively priced and they'll get a package that works for you. You got a huge company, you work in HR, you're a CEO, or you got a small company, a startup, call Global Verification Network. Go to mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. Again, that's 877-695-1179. Global Verification Network, leave no stone unturned ever-changing band of ministers were out on the airwaves assuring us that there would be a meaningful vote tomorrow before this latest twist, this sort of premature parliamentary ejaculation that has put the lie to the claim that she sticks to her guns. When she won't even tell us when the vote is deferred to, and it appeared that the lady is returning. How can we or anyone trust anything she says again? I'm tempted to say to the Honourable Lady, if she looks carefully, I think she'll see that I'm not capable of a parliamentary ejaculation. <laughs> Whoa, the range is hot on the uh, floor of parliament there in the UK. That was the prime minister, Theresa May, responding to a member of parliament there. You heard the exchange. It was uh, spicy. What's going on with Brexit? What's going on in the UK? And maybe a little time for the yellow vest if we've got it. Uh, we've we've been joined by our friend Raheem Kassam. He is... Uh, formerly an advisor to Nigel Farage. He's also a Claremont fellow, author of No Go Zones. Raheem, what's up, my friend? Hey, Buck. How you doing? I'm all right, man. I mean, it looks like the MPs at least get to have a bit of fun on the floor of Parliament there. Uh, what What is the, the, the latest? I mean, we know... Actually, we've got sound here. Theresa May just barely held on to her seat. Play that clip, guys. 
as leader of the Conservative Party. Uh, the number of votes cast uh, in favour of uh, having confidence in Theresa May was 200 and against was 117. Under the rules set out in the constitution of the Conservative Party, no further confidence vote can take place for at least... Right, so she, Rahim, so the, the British PM survives a no-confidence vote. Brexit's at the heart of this. What the heck is going on? Yeah, I mean, where to start? I mean, Theresa May was nearly uh, prematurely ejected uh, as uh, the Prime Minister today uh, uh, after 48 members of her own uh, uh, governing party, the Conservative Party, uh, put in letters to the... Uh, head of what's called the 1922 Committee, uh, which, which sort of governs the rules inside the Conservative Party. They didn't think she was doing a good enough job with Brexit. It triggered a no-confidence vote, uh, and she won that vote today amongst her own parliamentary party. So she hangs on, and as you heard in that clip, they can't challenge her for another 12 months. But what this means for Brexit specifically is that you now have a bad deal that she's negotiated where we end up paying, the British end up paying, 60-odd billion dollars into, um, into, the European, into the European Commission's coffers. And what we get in response is, is basically nothing in return. And you'll forgive the noise in the background. I have some policemen doing wheelies in front of me. But, I was going to say, are you riding a, a tuk-tuk uh, somewhere? Are you in Southeast Asia? What's going on here? It's absolutely bizarre. Outside of the Trump International Hotel, there's a policeman doing wheelies in front of me. Um, <laughs> Raheem Kassam, man of action, everybody, international man of mystery. So, you know, Ra- Raheem, with, with the Brexit thing, people in this country, we, we, we look at what's going on in Europe mostly and we take it as either cautionary tales or maybe inspiration or some combination of the two for what's going on here. Right. That's why right. Europe ends oh, Plus, you know, you guys, you're, you're kind of our cultural forebears and all that stuff. So we appreciate that. But, uh, you know, Brexit moved the markets here earlier in the week. People were all freaked out about it. And is the, is the long and short of basically that the elites in the UK want to find a way to just override the referendum that they didn't that didn't go their way? Well, not that they wanted to find a way. They actually have found a way. And it's at the point now where you don't even have a deal or no deal scenario. Remember, this is what we were talking about a few months ago, that we'd either get this really bad deal that Theresa May was offering us, or on the March 29th deadline, when we're supposed to leave the European Union, we get no deal and we revert to World Trade Organization rules. Well, the no deal scenario looks off the table now. So we either get a bad deal or a slightly less bad deal. And that's what Theresa May and her her Romaniac colleagues, as we call them, um, they have they've orchestrated this over the last two years. And it looks like they're about to actually get, get a great victory in favor of the EU over Britain. So no, no sovereignty back, very few immigration controls back. We end up paying massive amounts of, I mean, tens of billions of pounds into the European Commission's coffers. Um, no uh, negotiation over our, our, our fishing waters, which, is, which was a major part of the Brexit campaign as well, getting back our sovereign right to fish unquoted in our own waters, in our own territorial waters. Uh, and none of this has happened. So Brexit now uh, looks to be not Brexit at all. And when March the 29th rolls around, it looks like what we're going to have instead is sort of what they call associate membership status of the European Union, which is the worst of both worlds. You take their rules, you give them cash, but you don't get any representation in the Council of Ministers or in the European Parliament. 
Wow. So so the elites in the UK and their infinite wisdom have effectively managed taxation without representation in the biggest supranational body in the world. That is exactly what has happened. And that's how I keep describing it. Um, and, and it's been, unfortunately, not just Theresa May's fault. It's the Conservative Party's fault. You know, I spend a lot of my time here in the United States, and, and I understand that the Republican Party has a lot of rhinos within it. Uh, well, we have a Conservative Party that is almost entirely constituted of, of Conservatives in name only. Um, and it's going to end very badly for the party over the next two to five years when there will have to be another general election. And people scratch their heads and say, well, why would we vote for this Conservative Party anyway? And you know who's the leader in waiting if, uh, if that happens? It's the hard-left Jeremy Corbyn, who's the leader of the Labour Party, sort of akin to your Bernie Sanders. Man, that does not sound good. We're going we're gonna to we're have to help our, our brothers and sisters in Britain out if it goes that way, because the taxation without representation, then you add on top of that a little dose of Sandernista socialism. Things, things are going to get rough. I just wanted your, your thoughts, Raheem, on, on the latest also on the, the yellow vests, these protests. Got to hand it to the French, man. I mean... Their protests put our protesters to shame, for whatever that's worth. These guys, go, when they go, they go hard. Uh, yeah. what, what, what's the latest here in terms of, one, what you think they're, you know, what's the status of, of the demands and negotiations? And two, what do you take away from this for all of us? You know, in 2016, when we had the Brexit referendum and then we had the election of President Trump, I turned around to some of my French friends and I said to them, you know, why, why aren't you guys following this, uh, this revolution? And I'll remember, I remember one of them said to me, she said, um, you know, we French, we take longer to do things, but when we do them, they're bigger. And, and that's exactly what's happened. Two years after the, the revolutionary year of 2016, the French are now on the streets. You know, they're, they're burning things, they're blocking streets. There's obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of violence going on. They're doing it bigger. Uh, the reason is very simple. Emmanuel Macron positioned himself as a a centrist candidate against Marine Le Pen, who was viewed as the far-right candidate in the presidential election. But he's governed effectively as, as, a, as a corporatist. He's given big tax breaks to the super wealthy uh, in France. He's uh, uh, cut the minimum wage or, or, or failed to raise the minimum wage in line with what the French were expecting. I mean, effectively, France is a socialist country, and this is not a conservative protest you're seeing. It's sort of got elements of populism to it, but by and large, the French just want more freebies, and that's what they're out protesting about at the moment. Now, Macron will face a no-confidence vote himself this week. Um, he will probably just about win it as well, just, just like Theresa May. Um, but, it, but, but when you look at the narrative from the United States, when you see the headlines in the Washington Post and the New York Times saying Trump is un unbelievably unpopular, his approval ratings are terrible, everybody wants him impeached, they have almost nothing to say about the fact that Merkel is now have, has had to stand down, May has had a no-confidence vote, and Macron is having a no-confidence vote. These are the three people that they've been telling us are the, are the new leaders of the international, you know, neoliberal, rules-based order. Um, and they can't even hold majorities and confidences within their own populations. America, actually, right now, to Europe, looks like a political haven. It looks like a, look, look, it looks like a really stable place to be. And isn't that extraordinary when, when you think about what you have to deal with every day in the press conferences and the Oval Office and all of that? It actually looks like the most stable country right now. Where is this all heading, in your opinion, in Europe? I mean, I know, look, you, you were an advisor, Nigel Farage. You're very uh, you know, close to some of the movements over there that are trying to reestablish some degree of sovereignty. I mean, given the failures of the uh, kind of elite consensus 
folks over there, right? I mean, they're not really the consensus of the people, but the, you know, the establishment says, no, 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 try this person, mm-hmm. you know, try Macron, he'll get it done. Where does this all go next? Mm. Yeah, look, it's not going anywhere good. Uh, you know, I, 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 try and, I try and keep a happy face um, on most of the time, but when you do project these things forward, you know, the establishment is doubling down. When President Trump said yesterday, you know, if I, if I get impeached, there'll be, uh, you know, riots or revolution, he was absolutely right. Um, because we're seeing that taking place in Europe at the moment. It's not going on in Poland, uh, where you have a strong conservative government. It's not going on in Hungary, where you have a strong conservative government. It's not happening in Austria. It's happening in these, these, these wishy-washy, multiculturalist countries like Britain, like France, um, like Germany. Um, and unfortunately, the establishment in those countries keeps doubling down. We're not going to listen to the people. We're going to figure out ways to suppress their voices, to suppress their votes, to not do what they tell us to do at the ballot box. Um, and so, I mean, if you think the Gilets Jaunes, the Yellow Vest um, protests have been violent, I've got to say, I don't, think you, I don't think you've seen nothing yet. I think it's going to get much, much worse in the next three to five years. We're going to see full, full-blown re- revolutions in these countries. Raheem Kassam, everybody. No Go Zones is his book. You can pick it up on Amazon. Also follow him on Twitter. And obviously you'll be hearing him here on the show. Raheem, my friend, great to have you. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. All right, we got more coming up. Stay with us. I just had a couple of premium pork chops today. Let me tell you, I did a fantastic job with the marinade. But you know where those, those premium pork chops came from? Omaha Steaks, my friends. Right now, Omaha Steaks has an amazing limited time offer for Team Buck. When you go to omahasteaks.com and enter promo code BUCK into the search bar, you're going to get 74% off Omaha Steaks family gift package. Originally $195, now only $49.99. Order now and you'll get four hand-cut aged to tenderness top sirloin steaks, two savory premium pork chops, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha Steaks burgers, Four snappy kielbasa sausages, all beef meatballs, four perfectly browned potatoes au gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, plus four more burgers free. I mean, it is a bonanza of delicious meat and sides. You need to check it out. Only $49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com. Type buck into the search bar and add the family gift package to your cart. Don't wait. Offer ends soon. Go to omahasteaks.com. Type buck into the search bar to send the Omaha Steaks family gift package today. 2017, the president announced he was pulling this country out of the Paris Climate Accords to hear the politicians and television news chin-tuggers react. You'd think it was the worst natural catastrophe, well, ever. What happened yesterday on the climate issue is an embarrassment to a country. It should be an embarrassment to him personally for how he answers to his grandchildren. People are going to die. Habitat will be destroyed. Seas will rise. Insects will spread. This will be the day that the United States resigned as the leader of the free world. He is not helping the forgotten American. He is hurting them. Their kids will have worse asthma in the summer. The president who talked about putting America America first has now put America last. That was the reaction, just as a little trip down memory lane, that we got from uh, much of the the elite media. Obviously, Tucker was calling it out, and I completely agree with Tucker. Uh, But when the Paris Climate Agreement went through, I mean, this is something that Obama really Obama really showed his his internationalist streak here on the whole Paris Climate Agreement, meaning that. U.S. sovereignty, U.S. uh, legislative bodies, none of that really matters. All you need to do is show up with a bunch of fancy global uh, and globalist bureaucrats 
and come up with some kind of an agreement. I mean, the, the Paris Climate Agreement, just just as a little trip down memory lane. Remember, Trump pulled this out of this, and he's right. It's, I mean, the, the, the whole thing. I can't even talk to libs about climate change anymore. They're so wacko. They're so wacko about the whole thing. I, you can't have an. Uh, what about the fact that people that have been saying this keep being wrong? They keep being. You want me to? You want me to not pay attention to the fact that the so-called experts and the and the scientific consensus, which is really almost an oxymoron, especially on an issue as complicated as this, consensus about what? There's not a consensus about how much the temperature will rise or fall. There's not a consensus about the best way to deal with it. There's not a consensus about what the full implications will be or won't be. They just all get into this hive mind. I mean, this is just a mob mentality about, oh, the climate, we've got to fix the climate. The Paris Climate Agreement, this is from the Paris Climate Agreement's, uh, the United Nations website here, United Nations Climate Change. Ooh, it's fascinating stuff. Here's what it says. The Paris Climate uh, Agreement's central aim is to strengthen the global response to the threat of climate change by keeping a global temperature rise this century well below two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and to pursue efforts to limit the temperature increase even further to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Additionally, the agreement aims to strengthen the ability of countries to deal with the impacts of climate change to reach these ambitious goals, appropriate financial flows, hmm, a new technology framework and an enhanced capacity building framework will be put in place, thus supporting action by developing countries and the most vulnerable countries. Okay, that last part, let's start with that first. That is really just an excuse for global socialism. That's all that is. The developed countries are going to pay for the less developed countries. The developed countries are going to have to build the infrastructure for the less developed countries. And the, the excuse is going to be, well, we got where we are because of all of our CO2 emissions. So to, they're going to do us the big favor, the big solid, these third world countries out there by letting us give them money so that they won't they won't go the carbon intensive economic route. By the way, this just makes people poorer. You know, the, the problem with the climate change lunatics is that there's real damage done by their lunacy. This isn't something that does not have a cost. In fact, the economic costs are enormous. And, you know, the countries involved in this are going to, they're the ones that determine, they call it, quote, nationally determined contributions. And every five years they're going to assess this. There's no mechanism for agreement here. I mean, this is just the faculty lounge in charge of the world. There's no accountability. There's no seriousness. It's just emotions and a whole lot of, you know, kumbaya, let's all hold hands, dance in a circle. It's crazy. And now we're seeing some of the implementation of this. And when it finally hits people, what this involves is really bad. That's, what, that's what's happening in France. They realize so you're going to add on. We've got all these other problems, and now you're going to add on fighting climate change to our bill? Please. I mean, here, here's, what, uh, here's what Macron has had to say about it. Play clip two. I feel the anger. Give us another chance. I want to see an immediate and real improvement in the salaries, and this is why I am ordering an end-of-the-year bonus for all employees without any tax. He's just having to give people a little, a little tax cut at the end. He's basically trying to pay people off a little bit to calm down. He's trying. He's just. This is the the president of France, desperate 
to try to regain some political stability under his feet. And it's, it's, this was all because of climate change. He didn't have to deal with this problem. You know, the yellow vests, uh, you know, they're, they're coming out. They're so upset, understandably so, because you're really going to do this to them? You know, we, we do have, look, wealth inequality is a very real thing. And it is the reason Marx resonates with so many people. The reason socialism has appeal for so many people is because inequality in talents and in wealth and in life is real. And it's very easy to exploit the inequality that exists in order to turn it into resentment because resentment then also spreads and becomes anger and anger turns into mobilization and mobilization gives power to the people who can control that anger. Which then brings me to what's going on right now in Paris. Raheem was just talking about it. Play clip three. This is the French ambassador to the U.S. And they have been rebelling also against our government, the government of President Macron, who, is, who, has, been, who has been trying to reform, uh, reform France. When you are increasing the price of gas for, for the people, especially for the people living in the rural areas, it has consequences on the standard of living. And I think that's what the French government did take, didn't take into account. So now I think the president has decided to, to face uh, this, this problem. Yeah. Because the president doesn't have a choice because a bunch of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are running around in yellow vests being like, guess what, Mr. Technocrat wannabe? Stop messing up because of climate change, okay? We want better lives now, not in a hundred years. And you know what? With the French on this, I got to agree with them. May we be sûr. I understand that Donald Trump doesn't care. Heilman makes a good point. He doesn't care. But why doesn't Mike Pompeo care right now? Are the pathetic deflections that we just heard when he appeared on Fox and Friends, is that a patriot speaking or a wannabe dictator's butt boy? Dead serious. I'm asking, are these the words of a patriot? Whoa. Mika Brzezinski, what is wrong with you? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question. She used that term, a blank boy, which is a, you know, it, it's one of those references that has uh, anti, anti-gay anti associations to it, obviously. And all you have to do is think about the phrase and, you know, it all becomes very clear as to why. This isn't a subtle, this isn't a subtle homophobic Remark: uh, This isn't a a subtle swipe at uh, at people who are um, you know same are same sex attracted. It's a it's a slur, and she went for it. She went for it because in the era of Trump, you see, there is such a psychosis among these elite media types that they're just stepping on these verbal bear traps left and right. And then, of course, they're under a completely different standard of of so-called uh, social media justice, right? They're, they're, no one's going to call for the firing of Mika Brzezinski or she's, you know, the suspension of Mika Brzezinski. She's way too big a deal for MSNBC. Uh, and, you know, Mika and Joe are really representative of what it is that people don't like when they say the elites, um, th- this is this is very important, and I, I'm thinking more and more in depth about this, and I may even be doing some some writing on this in the in the not too distant future. Uh, hint, hint. But the the problem with with our elites in this country is that 
They have influence, but not skills. They have access and power, but not wisdom and knowledge. And they're a self-perpetuating class based mostly upon a system that they have connections to and have figured out instead of a system that is based on merit, ability, skill, and honestly, worthiness. And Mika and Joe and their whole show really appeals to those kinds of people. I mean, if you watch Morning Joe, the idea is that you're, you're a sophisticated, you know, you're, you're with the, the big boys table. You're a sophisticated watcher of, of news. Meanwhile, I mean, it's like listening to a bunch of catty high school girls. And I'm talking about Joe and, you know, Bill Crystal and the people that he's got on his panel and uh, some guy conf, con, uh, confessori from The New York Times and these other people. I mean, it's just always this very snide, sanctimonious, anti-Trump lather. They're all saying the same crap. But Miki here saying something that's that's anti-gay to attack Trump. And yeah, she's she's now said that. Oh, she apologized to the Democrat, Senator Durbin, who was on set with her, I guess. He didn't do anything. He was just sitting there. She didn't apologize as far as I know to Trump, though. And, you know, this Stephen Colbert not long ago referred to I can't even say I can't say on air what he said, but he used a a homophobic uh, slur about President Trump and, and Vladimir Putin. I mean, these people are paid millions of dollars and are so so lucky they're elite but they are they're really elitists right they're really just trying to hold on to their social position they're not particularly talented they're not particularly bright and and yet they can't help themselves but to risk much of that or at least risk some of that by saying crazy things about this president i mean it's just not rational it's it's not a a normal thing to be a you know national level uh, TV host and to have to uh, you know apologize and you're a Democrat and you're a leftist and you're making anti-gay slurs on TV. Yeah, I mean you know, it's one of the I and mean, it's one of those things where you just sit here and say I mean we know there's this double standard but even with the double standard I mean what is her problem? Uh, you know, uh, putting aside that she's not going to get in any any real trouble for this, which is just we know that the media is unfair and it's stacked and all that. But, you know, Mika Brzezinski, uh, just just unimpressive in every every regard. And I just wish that people watching that stupid show would figure that out. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. Time for roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to be a part of the roll call party. You know how to do it, folks. You know how to get in on this action. Send me a note, send me a message. One day, far, far away, we will have an email address for you. I know a lot of you ask for that. You say, Buck, where's the email address? And I say, it's coming. We're gonna have, we should probably set up an AOL email address just to kick it old school. You know, it'll be like a throwback jersey. It'll be like Team Buck at AOL.com. Bam. Uh, Martha writes, Trump needs to start billing the wall as a WPA-style Americans back-to-work project. Well, Martha... I, I hear what you're saying. I think more than anything else, Trump needs to start 
getting fired up about the fight ahead with this shutdown. And he look, he did a good job with, with Schumer and Pelosi. I think that people realize that Schumer and Pelosi are uh, when you you know, when you look at that whole situation, there's a, there's an understanding that they want to be the ones having that discussion behind closed doors. Trump wants to have that discussion out where people can actually hear it. So there you go. Uh, isn't that that tells you a lot about it, doesn't it? If if it were so strong for Democrats, if it was so politically useful for them to oppose the wall, why aren't they the ones that are making the case to have that discussion publicly? Why do they want to have it be? I, I mean, look, you, you just you apply basic reason and logic to these things and then you realize the Democrats are full of it, full of it. Randy writes, hey, Buck, shields high. I've got I've got to get one more line in today. At today's meeting with the president, Chuck Schumer said when the president bragged that he won won North Dakota and Indiana, he's in real trouble. So, Chuck, are you saying that North Dakota and Indiana don't count? Ooh, sick burn from Randy. I don't I can't speak for Chuck Schumer. Uh, He also wrote. uh, So after the CEO of Google testified in front of Congress, I believe Google's theme song ought to be every breath you take. I'll be watching you. Oh, can't you see? You belong to me. That's right, everybody. I should have had a career in music instead. That's right. I forget this radio stuff. I'd be on the 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 hip music side of the dial. Hey, Buck Sexton, coming to you at KLTRJ WQSR one oh nine point seven 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 seven. What do you think, DJ Brandon? Could I make the switch? Be one of those guys? I, I want the noise guy. though you that. Can do it. Yeah, thank you, right? I want to be the I want to have the thing where they're like you know the noise of like the car going, you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like it's I, like a car goes by you really fast and they use that as a drop sometimes. Sure, good luck with that. Yeah. All right. DJ Brandon is not he thinks I should probably stick to the political analysis. That's fine. As he's probably he's probably Buckmaster right. Flex. By the way, Bu- Bu- Buckmaster Flex. I like that a lot actually. Buckmaster <laughs> Flex should be a thing that we we actually run with. Um uh, did you see a recent photo? This was making the rounds and the memes of Axl Rose. And the meme was that Axl Rose looks like the mean lady from the Goonies. And it's true. Yeah, I've seen It's that. true. Have uh, you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, what, yeah. What happened to Axl? I mean, we all age. I don't know what to tell you. We all age. <laughs> That's my comment. I know. It's like, it's, like you're, it's like you're being told there's no Santa Claus the first time. Axl Rose. See him next no longer to... longer sweet child of mine. Seeing him next to Mickey, Mickey Rourke. There was a recent picture. I think they went to the same surgery. Yep, that's the one. Okay. Yeah. They both they both look like they're in their granny phase, which is nothing wrong with that. It's just, just different than I remember them. All right. Damien writes, like you, I'm a child of the 80s, and Big Trouble in Little China was a staple of my childhood. However, I learned it isn't on Netflix or Hulu. I thought this was 2018. Jack Burton should be on demand. I say we riot. We're not gonna take it. Uh, Shields high, Buck. Glad you're feeling better. Well, Damien, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Big Trouble in Little China is a great movie that will never, ever, ever be able to be remade because you get in trouble for making that movie now. There's so much cultural appropriation. Uh, There's a lot of Asian guys with accents. You know, you're just, that's just, you're not allowed to do these things. You know, cinema has changed so much and, and in many ways not for the better. Although I was seeing today, there were the reviews of Aquaman are just scathing that I'm seeing, which is such a shame. Like Aquaman should be great. Well, Brandon, why can't they make 
superhero movies with with just good stories and good acting. I mean, you've already got the built-in superhero fan base. They rely so much on CGI, and I think That's it's why. because they do it for the... Yeah, they do it for the global market because they know they're going to dub the crap out of all these things. And so, you know, if it has a big opening in China, they don't care if those of us who actually like comic books watch the movie and say, this is not paying homage to this great canon of work. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, yeah. I'm a fan of the artistic comics, and they I would rather have... You know, Jim Henson, Jim Henson, like puppetry rather than the CGI. Oh, absolutely. Well, when you think about it, Jaws, even though the shark in Jaws doesn't look real because it's an actual thing that's in the water, it holds up much better than a lot of these movies. Like I mean, there's Deep some movies that I saw. Aver- like Deep Blue Sea with well, Samuel Well, I mean, Deep Blue Sea is saved by the Samuel L. Jackson speech and, okay. and what happens at the end of it. But yeah, no, deep, no, but you're right. I mean, Deep Blue Sea, those sharks, those CGI sharks are way less scary than the Jaws, like, you know, mechanical shark from uh, however long ago. What was this? I remember I read his name. They have a name for the shark. I forget what it is, but it's like Hank or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the shark from that's way better. Uh, so such is life, man. Such is they were talking about a big trouble in Little China remake and then it, and then it fell away and I, I got all excited about it. Um, give it time. They're going to do a, probably an original Bloodsport remake, and they could make that actually a pretty, a pretty kick-ass movie. Um, Nathaniel writes, Hey, Buck, Shields High. Material for the show. The BSO has clear non-gender-based criteria for their pay structure, but this millennial flutist is indoctrinated. She can't really see the reality staring her in her face. Uh, a star flutist, he's talking about this piece in the Washington Post, a star flutist is paid... This is like a male-female pay disparity thing. The Boston Symphony Orchestra is the BSO. There are 95 musicians, 63 men, and 32 women. Principal flutist Elizabeth Rose sits next to principal oboist John Farillo. She pay, she's paid 64,451 less than him a year. Okay. You know, I, I hate to break this to folks. And they're saying this could change the way, you know, orchestras pay men and women. I mean, I hate to break it to folks, but, you know, a, a lot of salary is about negotiation. I understand that the uh, radical feminist types want everyone to believe that it's just uh, gender discrimination. But a lot, a lot of salary negotiation is is about being willing to push, being willing to be aggressive, being willing to bluff even and say, you know, I got I'm going to get a great offer from somewhere else. If you don't pay me X or Y, look, I've had to do it myself many times. So, you know, our, our men predisposed to be more aggressive and, and more assertive in salary negotiations than women. It's certainly possible. Oh my gosh, you just said men and women are different. It's terrible. Uh, but, but it's definitely not because people have exactly the same skills and women just make 20% less or whatever it is that they say now because, uh, or you know, in this case, $64,000 less. I didn't know that people in orchestras made that much money, by the way. That's a lot of money. I mean, because that's, if you make 64000 less, I mean, you got to be in you know, good six-figure territory here to be in these orchestras. Uh, anyway, so there's that's that's my take on all that. We can talk about this more another time. Rachel writes, Buck, there is a Battlestar Galactica miniseries from 2003 that's available on Amazon Prime right now. The later four series, uh, seasons are a continuation of the 2003 miniseries. This is why season one, episode one, looks like a continuation of something. There we go, Rachel. This is what I've been asking for for a while because it's really not clear to me. And I tried to watch Battlestar Galactica. I tried to, uh, you know, 
be up on it. And I'm like, wait, did I miss? And I hate feeling like I'm coming in. I'm somebody who, if I miss the first 20 minutes of a movie, when I used to go to movies in the theater, I can't handle it. I just, I hate it. You know, I can't do that. And I always felt like I was behind on Battlestar Galactica. But turns out, yeah, there was this miniseries before it. You don't have to see, but it's kind of based on some of, I mean, you get what I'm putting down. By the way, I'm really not. I'm really not so psyched about uh, Frontier. A, a bunch of you gave me that recommendation, and I can appreciate why you like it. Jason Momoa is very compelling as Declan Harp. It's a cool name too. There was a time when I was like, I wish my name was Declan. That's one of the cooler Irish names. Uh, but you know, the, the storytelling is just a little sloppy, and there's way too much like oh, we need to do something? Let's just stab some guy here. You know, there's not really enough intricate storytelling for me. The acting is a little meh. Like, I call it like I see it, you know? And some of you, some Team Buck original squad is going to make fun of me because I like to tear apart pop culture, movies, TV more than I tend to praise them. And they are correct when they say that. But uh, I just, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it when it comes to a Frontier. It's just not, it's not my favorite. We'll have to do it live. Uh, Van. Hey, Buck, I stumbled onto your show about a year ago. I've been listening rapidly for six months and enjoy your insight and especially the voices you do. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Although I'm a little more central than you are, I am still light years away from the modern Democrat, liberal radical, etc. All I can say about the Mueller probe is that if President Trump is guilty of all of the crimes that libs say he is, Mueller must be the biggest idiot on the face of the planet for not being able to find any evidence Trump must be some kind of genius, on the other hand, in which case, glad I'm on his side. Do you think if the libs actually believed in God, Jesus, and the teachings of the Bible, they would think he is the Antichrist? Keep spreading the truth, my friend. Shields high. Van, welcome to Team Buck. I know you've been with us for six months, but I don't think I've had a chance to say that to you before. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that you're you're spot on. We, we are supposed to believe that the most sophisticated intelligence and law enforcement apparatus on the planet is unable to find smoking gun evidence of an international conspiracy to throw a presidential election. This is crazy town, all right? It's just not rational. Never mind reasonable, it's not rational. So that's my answer, that's my answer to all that. Uh, we're going to have a fantastic show tomorrow and Friday, so thank you so much for giving me your time, as always, team. Please do do me one favor, I haven't said it in a while. Tell somebody to go and download the Buck Saxton Show on iTunes. Tell them to check it out, listen to it. Hopefully they'll make us a part of their daily routine. We want the team to continue to grow, as it has been for the, gosh, going on two years I've been doing this syndicated show. Talk to you tomorrow, my friends, my colleagues, my fellow patriots. Shields high. Snippy.com. If you haven't heard about it before, you've heard about it now. Snippy.com is a new social media site. I was just posting on it earlier today, and I'm just so happy to see it growing. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com. They're expressing their opinions, stirring up lively conversations. Snippy, unlike the major mega players that have been out there for years, is a new unbiased social media platform that just tries to promote community and conversation, okay? They encourage freedom of expression, and they guarantee, guarantee their users the ability to discuss topics freely without suppression from administrators. Snippy is a place where you can express your thoughts and not have to worry about somebody telling you what you can and can't say. No shadow banning, no suppression of conservative thought ever. Now it's got an updated user interface and exciting new features also available in the Apple App Store and for Android. Snippy is your new alternative social media. Free to join, free to post, all of it is free. 
S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Start your account today, team.